At the Last Supper, Jesus sat with his disciples, one of whom was Peter. And Peter um, was known as, as being the, the emotional one, the passionate one, the one who had um, big highs and, and big lows, kind of with the, the testimony that we just listened to. And when, um, when Jesus said to him, um, you know, I'm going to go somewhere where you can't follow me. Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. So Jesus is talking about his death, but the disciples don't understand that. And Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so Peter, full of confidence, full of, of swagger and full of, and I, and I think on the shoulders of, or on the heels of hearing that Judas was going to be the one to betray him, Peter said, that's right, like I'm not going to be that one. And so telling Jesus, I will go with you anywhere. I will die for you. And Jesus said, don't answer so quickly. You don't really know what you're saying right now. In fact, you're going to deny me before the rooster. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And, and sure enough, as if you grew up in the church, you probably know that that's exactly what happened. A, a servant girl and another man accused him. And as he was near, as Jesus had been taken away. And they said, this, this man, he's been following Jesus. He's one of his people. And, and Peter said, no. No, I don't know what you're talking about. And so they, they keep after him. And even an hour later, they ask him again, say, no, I'm sure of it. I have seen you with him. And Peter actually swears at them, says, no, you're mistaken. And after the third time that happened, the rooster crowed. And in Luke's account, it says the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And then we know that Jesus, of course, is, is crucified and, and, and he um, raises from the dead. And we read through uh, and, and had the um, dramatic reading of John 20. And how Mary, Mary finds that the tomb is empty. And, and Jesus gives these instructions of go and tell the disciples and Peter. Like make sure you tell Peter that I have risen. And so they see him. And it's this interesting time that we don't really think about. We think about the crucifixion. We imagine the crucifixion. And then we think about the resurrection and, and how amazing that must have been. But do we realize that then Jesus for weeks and weeks, appears to his followers afterwards. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses to Jesus in the physical body, walking around, eating breakfast with them, talking with them, letting them touch him and see where the holes have been. And one of these times, he comes to the edge of the sea, and Peter and John and others are out fishing, and Jesus sees that they haven't caught anything. They've, they've caught nothing all night. And Jesus yells out from the shore and says, toss, toss your net off to the side. And they do, and they haul in this huge haul of fish. And when that happens, John says to Peter, he says, it's the Lord. And Peter...
Peter, I realize I'm dating myself with this reference, but Peter goes full Forrest Gump seeing Lieutenant Dan, dives into the water and just goes for him. If you don't know that reference, I apologize, but for those of you who do, that was a gem. And you now have a picture of Peter just diving from the boat and just running to Jesus. He can't contain himself. Like there's Jesus there. I got, I got to get to him. And so he, he gets to him and sees him. And they sit and Jesus, like a true hospitable, like he's just hospitality, has fish ready to cook and lay out and the grill ready. And they eat together. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked the third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. There's so much in this, but I just want to zero in on this idea of who Jesus is talking to, because I think that there are a lot of people in this room that will be able to relate to this Peter. Because when Jesus is asking the three times, one of the reasons he's asking that, most scholars believe, is that he is hearkening back to, G- to Peter's three denials. And so what he's doing in no uncertain terms is offering Peter this opportunity, this chance at redemption, this second chance. He's a man on this roller coaster. He is praised in one moment in the in scripture for professing that Jesus is the, is the Christ, and the next moment he is being rebuked by Jesus as being used by Satan. He declares his loyalty to Jesus and that he would die for him, and then we know at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, Peter can't even stay awake, let alone lay down his life. But then he bounces back, and in, in his misguided attempt to protect Jesus, he cuts off the ear of one of the people who are trying to take Jesus. And then hours later, he cowers in fear at the accusation of a servant girl and denies knowing Jesus altogether. Maybe, maybe you can relate to that this morning. That kind of yo-yo effect that maybe you remember, maybe you're here right now and you remember a time that you really believed, a time that you really believed that God existed and that he loved you and that he was for you and that you wanted to follow him. Maybe there was a time where you were even on fire for him and, and just committed to knowing him more and more. But maybe that fire has faded. Maybe it's faded outside of the church. You just walked away from the church family altogether. And so you went and pursued, like, like Bobby was talking about, pursuing other things, pursuing other desires. Or maybe it's faded within the church walls. You've continued to go and continued to be a part of things and continue to attend and continue to give and 
Continue to do the things that you've always done, just hoping for a spark. I used to hear testimonies from people who had done, had lived hard lives before they knew Christ, much like what you heard here. And for me, that wasn't my story. For me, I had known Christ at a, a younger age and prayed and received the gospel and was excited about that. And then I fell away. And whenever I would hear those stories, I would think, okay, God, I completely believe that you can save someone like Bobby. I completely believe that you can save someone who has just lived this life and now they turn to you and once they turn to you, they are on fire. But what about those of us who were on fire and then fell away? What for us? Does your grace cover that? Because I'm not so sure. I'd be ashamed to even utter that because of all these things that I had done after I had proclaimed Christ. Maybe you think that God is just tired of your yo-yoing. And he's just had enough of it. And if that's you, I want you to hear that Jesus is speaking to you in this story. He says, do you love me? He's still here. He's still asking. He's still laying, inviting you to lay down your fears, to cast aside the sin that so easily entangles and to follow him. He's not just speaking to that person. There's another thing that's happening here as Jesus speaks. He asks Peter and Peter immediately responds. That's one of the things that strikes me about this. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, of course I love you. It's just that fast. You would think after what Peter had been through, there'd be just a slight bit of hesitation, right? Just a little bit of hesitation. Have you ever done that where you ask someone a question and they answer just too quickly? I mean, if you've been a parent and you've asked a child, like, hey, did you brush your teeth? Yes? Uh, I'm not so sure. It's just too quickly. You just answer too quickly. We tell our kids all the time, don't answer so quickly. Stop. Think. And so many of us in the church, we just say that. We hear this story and if Jesus were to stand here before you and say, do you love me? So many of us would just say, well, yeah, of course. Of course I do. I'm here, right? Do you love me? Yeah, it's like a given. And I get that a lot. When I start, it's like, well, do you believe in God? When I'm talking to people, do you believe in God? Well, of course I do. And if they grew up in the church, you might say, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, of course. They rose from the dead and, 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 and died on the cross and rose from the dead and paid the price for your sin. Yeah, of course. Do you love him? I might give a little hesitation, but maybe you answer so quickly and so confidently that you never take time to consider what that actually means. I think this is part of what Jesus is doing. So my story, when I fell away and was just living the life, I was in ministry. I was in youth ministry. I was teaching the Bible every week, not willing to stop and consider, do I love him? Terrified to do that. I mean, I lose my job. I cast doubt on. So I just, I just kind of hardened myself in this path. And it all culminated with going out to California to a youth conference where I brought a bunch of our youth volunteers with us. And the opening session, they just are singing some songs. And they sing this very simple song that, that I'd never really thought much of. But it was just a very simple song. Maybe, maybe you know it. But it was just repeating this phrase over and over again. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. And then it would go to, this is my daily bread. 
And I'm singing like everybody else is singing. I'm standing there. And if someone would have said, is he the air you breathe? I would have said immediately, yes, of course. Of course he is. Look, I'm at a youth conference for crying out loud with youth leaders. Of course he's my, the, my daily bread. Of course he's the air I breathe. And as I was singing that, I believe the Holy Spirit asked me, is this true? And all of a sudden, as I sung the next line, I was crushed under the weight of the realization that I was lying. He wasn't the air I breathed. He was a religious figure that I taught about. He wasn't my daily bread. He was just a teacher who I read so that I could help instruct others. And I lost it. And I just collapsed on the floor. And you talk about not instilling a lot of confidence with youth leaders who have trusted me and are going on this conference. And I am sobbing in heaves on the floor. And they're all standing there looking at me like, what is wrong with Jay? And as I'm sobbing, I know that the presence of God was with me. And Jesus saying, do you love me? Friends, don't answer too quickly. Don't get caught in that pattern of, yes, of course, yes, of course, yes, of course. When you sing the songs that we sing, think about, are these words true? Do I really believe these words that I'm singing? Don't be afraid because Jesus already knows where you are. He is not going to discover anything new. He already knows that. Think, consider, does, does my life demonstrate that I believe these things? Do, do you love him? And consider how he defines love. He tells Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. There's this action piece to it. Peter says, you know I love you. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. Listen, saying that you love Jesus is not the same thing as loving him. It's not. We know that in human terms. Just saying I love you does not mean the same thing as actually loving someone. Jesus defines love. He defines everything. He defines discipleship. He defines community. He defines what it means to follow him. And we don't tend to like that. We want the faith by our own design. So we get into a situation where I get to define what it means to follow Jesus. I get to define what it means to believe in him. I get to define what it means to be a part of the church family. I get to define what it means to love him and to know him and, what, and how to worship. I define that. I'll give you a hint as to who defines that. Who gets to define that? It's not you, and it's certainly not me. It's the maker of all things. Like, listen, if you, we, we know this in every other walk of life. If you go to your work and your boss says, hey, your shift starts at 5 a.m. tomorrow, and you say, you know, I've always thought that 5 a.m. is just too early. I feel like my optimum time is 9, so I'm going to show up at 9. How well does that go? Not well. I coach baseball, and I've got kids who don't seem to grasp the concept of being safe or out. And so if you ever watch a t-ball game or a little league game or whatever, and the kid will go and they get tagged out and they just stand on the base. They just stay there, right? 
And I just picture them in their philosophical six-year-old minds saying, you know, I always feel like the whole idea of safe and out is a little archaic. You know, I just feel like I'm safe. We don't get to decide that. Or when my wife goes and she runs some errands and she says, hey, it'd be awesome um, if the kitchen was clean. Like if you could help me out and clean the kitchen while I'm running some errands, that would be great. And then she gets back and the kitchen's still a mess. And I say, you know, I've always thought that cleaning the kitchen is overrated. Oh, you've thought that, have you? That's interesting. Guess what? I don't get to define that. If that doesn't work in your job and it doesn't work in baseball and it certainly doesn't work with your spouse, why would you think it works that way with God? Why would you think the creator of the entire universe would look to you and say, and say, well, you know, this is how I define love. And then you say, well, you know, I have always kind of defined it this way. What makes you think God's going to hear that and say, you know, that's a good idea. I've never thought of it that way. It's ridiculous, right? When we put those words on there, why would I define that? Jesus defines it and he says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Obey me. Place your whole trust in me. He defines that. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, which the translation for that is everything, every part of your being. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he defines love further. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we say this all the time. It's so important. It's if you love me, this is what will happen. He's not saying if you keep my commandments, then I will love you. He's saying because I have loved you, you will keep my commandments. If you don't, then that is evidence that you don't know me. If so, if you find yourself this morning shrugging at the commands of Jesus, then the Bible says you are not a Christian. And you can say that I'm extreme or that that's, that's a me problem, but the Bible says this. He defines. The Bible would say then that you have made a religion all to yourself. You say you worship God, but really you are at the center of that religion. God is just the figurehead. Like the Queen of England. And we think about that, and we, it's, it's fun because we're distant, you know, from that, and to look at that and say, like, we don't fully grasp all that. But the Queen of England, everyone acts proper around her. She gets the best house. She gets the best spot at the table. She is supported financially. They give. She's famous. Everyone wants their picture taken with her or to be seen with her or to be invited by her. But at the end of the day, she has no real authority. And for so many of us in the church, that is our Jesus. A figurehead to the religion of ourselves. Listen, he is king, he is Lord, or he isn't. There is no halfway. And Jesus puts an exclamation point on that when he tells Peter, okay, this is what's going to happen to you. And he shows him the way, what kind of death that he would suffer in order to glorify God. And after that, he says, follow me. Feels awfully presumptuous. If I was there with Jesus, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, that's not the best sales pitch. 
Okay, Peter, guess what? You're going to die in this way. Follow me. He says, you are not your own. If you want to keep your identity and the things that you love and the things you think you are, then you cannot be his disciple. It doesn't matter how often you go to church or what policies you vote for or how honest you are in business or how good of a family man you are. If you do not die to yourself, if you are not crucified with Christ, then you cannot be raised with him in the resurrection. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. So how could Jesus ask this? Because he's offering life. He's saying it's worth it. He's saying, lay down your life. He says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. It's a big deal. He's telling Peter, count the cost, but he's saying it's worth it. And this is what I want you to hear is, if you hear nothing else this morning, don't answer too quickly. Let Jesus define love and define following him. Find that in his word. Don't let me define that for you. Don't let someone else in your family define that for you. Don't, don't let some speaker on TV define that for you. Don't let the culture define that for you. Go straight to God's word and let him define that for you and what it means to follow and die to your sin and turn and live in Christ and realize that it is worth it. Jesus tells his disciples it is worth it. He says in Mark Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's the claim of the Bible is that following Jesus means laying down everything and that it's worth it. That it's a treasure in a field that upon finding it, that you go with joy and sell everything that you have because you have to have that field. You have to have that treasure. The message of Jesus is not lay down your life because it's the right thing to do. It's not lay down your life because he died for you and it's the least that you can do. It's not because self-sacrifice is the way to heaven or even ultimately for the good of others, he is saying, lay down your life because I have something better. I have something better for you. To find your life, you'll have to lose it. And that is the promise that you will find it. You will find joy. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Does anybody need to be filled with joy that is inexpressible? You know what that would be like to be so joyful that you wouldn't even be able to put words to why or how you are so joyful or power. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you think about the power? If you need power in your life, what greater power could you have than the fact that the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in those who trust in him? Or peace? Some of you right now in your life, you just give anything for a little bit of peace. Everything feels like it's spinning out of control and you're not even sure how this happened and you desperately just need peace. And Paul says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That you would feel such a deep abiding peace that you wouldn't even be able to explain it. Or purpose As Samantha read, go and make disciples of all nations. He gives us this mission and freedom. He has set us free. Do you may need to be set free? Listen, there's no joy in half-hearted Christianity. There's no power. There's no freedom. There's only guilt in an endless game of denying what I really want over here and giving in to what I really want and being torn between those two. And some of you, I know because I've been there, you're walking that, you're in that world. Christianity to you has just become about sometimes I, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I fail. I deny what I really want and then I give in to what I really want. But true Christianity is dying to those old desires. And finding that God has greater gifts for you. Going all in with Christ is finding that the old things you wanted are weak and that you actually have deeper, greater, stronger desires. And Jesus fulfills them all. For some of you this morning, this is the first time you have heard this. And I would encourage you to not turn away from it, to actually consider it. Do like what Bobby did and just start reading for some of you, you've heard this so often that you've become immune to it, but maybe today is the first time that you really hear it and lean into that. And for some of you, I know this is just foolishness. And this is the price that you pay once a year or twice a year that you go and you hear a message. But for some of you this morning, this rings with truth and beauty, but you aren't sure where to go with it. And just practically speaking, if you're there right now and you're saying, I, I want that. I don't know if I know that Jesus. I don't know if I know that gospel. I want that. Then as silly as it may sound, maybe the first step this morning is you just fill out a communication card. They're in the, the seat backs in front of you. You can, you, there's a pen in there. You can fill it out. You can put anything on there you want. You can even put swear words on there. I don't care. You put anything you want on there. And you just hand it in. Give it to the, in the offering box or whatever. And we will get that. And we will, and we will meet with you. And we will talk with you. And we will connect you with other people who will listen and walk with you and point you to Jesus. That's one step you can take. And another step is just join us on Sunday. Come, come back. We're going through the gospel of Mark right now. And we're just every week 
teaching and learning about who Jesus actually is, not who we thought he was, not what the flannel graph Sunday school boards like, said that he was, not what somebody said, like what the Bible actually says, who he is, and we're all learning together. And I would encourage you then just read the Gospel of John or read the Gospel of Mark. Those simple steps. And if you don't have a Bible, and I still remember the time Samantha didn't have a Bible, and we just, we, they're back there in the corner. Grab one as you go. It's yours. If you don't have a readable Bible, take it. It's our gift to you. And as you're reading, and, and, and if you walk down that road, there's going to come a moment where you are going to feel the weight of your sin. And when that happens, I want you to look to the cross. I want you to receive the forgiveness that is there. I want you to see the love of God that is demonstrated that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to receive that grace. I want you to trust in it and grab it and go after it 100%. I want you to know that God's love for you is not dependent on you not messing up ever again from this point forward. Because those of you that are the yo-yoers, I know right now you're thinking, all right, this is it. This is the turning point. Never again. The quick ending to this story is right after this happens with Peter. Right after the, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. I grieve. He grieves over it. He gets reconciled to Jesus. He is given this mission right after. The Bible says that he looks at John and he says, what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, if I want him to remain alive until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. Like Peter can't even last 10 minutes. And immediately he's back. And Jesus is looking at him. Look, you follow me. You don't worry about what's going on around you. You don't worry about what other people are thinking. You don't worry about what I'm doing in them. I'm working in them like I'm working in you. So you follow me. My prayer this morning is that you'd hear that. And for those of you that that is, sounds like life to you, please talk to us. Let us point you to the giver of all good things, to the one who will give you joy inexpressible <clears throat> and peace that surpasses all understanding with a love that you could not comprehend for his glory and your joy. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we cannot fully understand who you are, what you have done, and at what cost. God, I pray you would open our eyes. Whether we are hearing this for the first time or the millionth time, whether we have been walking away from you or whether we have been in lockstep with you, and we have experienced all this joy. God, we want more. We want more freedom, more joy, more peace, more life, more hope. And we know that the promise of your word is that we cannot exhaust all that you are and all that you have to offer us, that we will, for all eternity, be receiving more and more and more. It is from you alone that we receive these things, and it is in Christ alone that we place our trust. Please do your work here for your glory and our joy. In the name of Jesus, amen.